Today is uh, May 10th, 2015. It is Mother's Day. We are so glad. I love Mother's Day. I love, I love getting to celebrate these things. If you came from a family that had a great mother, then you should feel blessed. You should be excited. If you came from a family that did not, well, amen. God is uh, more than makes up for what we lack. Amen? amen. So we're going to study about some things that uh, take, take some look at some mothers and some women in the Bible and figure out exactly what God has for all of us today. Um, I, do, I do have a, a few pictures that I want to show you. Um, so sometimes uh, if you feel, you may feel like this if you're a mom. Uh, my wife was a, a preschool teacher, and uh, Miss Sutherland, Miss Sutherland, Miss Sutherland, Miss Sutherland, all day long. So when she came home, sometimes she wanted to change her name. And I'm sure when you have little kids at the house, sometimes you want to change your name as well. I don't, if you could change it from mom, sometimes that would be good. Um, and of course, we, we can't. I can't leave the dads out. I know this is Mother's Day, but I have a picture for you too. Um, I don't know if you could see the one on the left. This is what the father sees when when this goes on. The one in the middle is what the child sees. And then mom, dear old mom, right? As dad sees it, as the kid sees it, as mom sees it. I I thought that was actually surprisingly accurate. (laughs) What are you doing? It's just a little toss here, mom. And uh, come down with icicles on their, you know, eyebrows or something, so... Um, this, this is such a great church to be a part of. Um, I hope that you appreciate this. I hope that every day um, when we come together, today is not a, a throwaway service. It's not a service that we're going to ignore what the Word of God has to say and how it impacts our life. The Word of God is pertinent to all of us, uh, even, as we celebrate, um, even as we celebrate the moms here in the room and the, and the one day soon-to-be moms. Um, we have a church that preaches about masculine holiness. You'll hear that a lot. We talk about uh, how you look through the Bible. For instance, in the first few chapters in Genesis, you find out that the pronoun, there's a a personal pronoun there for he. It refers to he about 17 to 20 times just in the very first few chapters. But the idea, um, and we always refer to God uh, in a a masculine form, but to think that he is male is actually not really the whole picture. Um, Turn to Genesis chapter 1. And I'll explain what I mean here using this scripture. Genesis chapter 1. By the way, the title of today's message uh, on Mother's Day is uh, Mama's Boys. Mama's Boys. Title of today's message. So Genesis chapter 1 and starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. In our likeness, and let them rule over the earth, over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Huh. Uh, as much as we want to make sure that our lives are in alignment with the, with the leadership structure that God has, where the husband in the home is designed to be the leader, but that doesn't mean that the wife is designed to be uh, made to feel inferior. As a matter of fact, the word that we're going to look at here in just a minute means that our wives, the ladies in the room, are completely essential to what God has for this. God asked uh, and told Adam to do something. He said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. So I'm going to go be fruitful and multiply. Um, yeah, how am I supposed to do that by myself? <laughs> that is not actually going to happen. You can't do that alone, so God has intended for it to be this way. Uh, take a look at chapter 2 and verse 18. For those of you who've been here, this is really just a review. Um, if you've been through our marriage teachings, this is a very, very fundamental part of who we are as a church. If you haven't, I'm kind of speeding through it, but I didn't want you to miss some of these nuggets that are found in the Word. Genesis uh, chapter 2, and starting in verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. Everybody say, It's not good. good. The next sentence says, I will make a a helper suitable for him. The word helper there, come on, help me out, LCMF. The word there in the Hebrew is ezer, E-Z-E-R. That's the original 
word that's there. We translate it as helper. Uh, in our language, helper can mean a lot of things. Um, I have a five-year-old at the house, and sometimes she wants to be my helper. Okay, so I'm carrying in the gallons of milk or whatever it is, and she wants to be my helper. So what does that mean? That means she puts a hand on it, but it's not really accomplishing a whole lot. It's really dad that's doing it all, and she's uh, showing that she's trying to get involved, and she wants to be a part of it. Amen, that's great. What a, what a sweet thing. The word helper there is not that. Um, if you are in an industry like you're um, electrical, an electrician, you might have a helper. Someone who is clearly inferior to you might go get your tools for you. When we do work projects here at the church, I am a helper. I just look at Mr. Charlie and I say, Mr. Charlie, what do you want me to do? And he will tell me what to do and I will go try to do it the best I can and not make Mr. Charlie mad at me. Right? I am a helper. I try to be a good helper. I try to be a hardworking helper. I'm just a helper. Right? The word here, easier, means something that's so much more than that. And easier is that, that means that someone who comes alongside of you and helps you to accomplish that which you cannot accomplish on your own. The Bible goes throughout and uses the word easer about God. Whoa. About God. He is our easer. When you start thinking about it in those terms, you clearly are not trying to put one higher than the other, for He is infinitely higher than us. But He says, I will be your easer. I'm going to be there. I'm going to give you my spirit to help you accomplish that which you cannot accomplish on your own. What a, what a beautiful, beautiful picture. Turn to Psalms chapter 121. We're just going to catch a few things here before we jump into the main text of today. Psalms 121. Say there when you are there. <clears throat> Starting in verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? <laughs> if you're a mom, maybe you've thought that as you're waiting on dad to get home from work. Look my eyes to the driveway. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Oh, isn't that good? Oh my gosh. This is speaking of the Lord over us. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither sleep, uh, slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. A song of ascent is what this, this chapter is talking about. But when it's talking about my help comes from the Lord. The Lord is my help. He is my strength. He is my help. He is my easer. The, the God of all creation says, I'm going to come and make you more able than you are on your own. The things that I'm telling you to do, I'm not just telling you to do and letting you go out there on your own. He said, I'm going to do them I'm going to tell you to do them, and then I'm going to be with you to help you. Amen. God rebukes us often throughout Scripture for those of us who want to rely on the strength of our own arm. Amen. God says, trust in me. Trust me. You'll be blessed if you trust in me. You'll be blessed if you understand that I am your easer. The things that I'm going to tell you to do, be fruitful and multiply. Truth is, is you can't do them by yourself anyway. <laughs> what a great thing that God does. He's going to give us things that we can't accomplish on our own, because He wants to be seen in us. Um, this idea of lifting up my eyes, um, I, I, I found a little video just for you guys. We normally don't do a lot of videos, but it's Mother's Day, so I'm going to take some liberty and uh, do things a little bit differently here this morning. So if, if we could do the first video, hopefully you guys will enjoy this. Are you guys sure you got this? Yeah. The twins are plugged in. Baby's asleep. How hard can this get? We're men. Besides, I bumped into Chuck Norris at a Pizza Hut once. I think his powers rubbed off on me. Get out of here. Go on, enjoy your mommy getaway weekend. Oh, this weekend was a bad idea. You remember what happened last time we watched the kids? I'm not a pinata. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna need help.
mean, like that delivery. <laughs> Warning, use of this product may alter your perception of reality. <sighs> All right, everything looks the same. This is a joke. Guys, it's like the Sahara in this cup. Can somebody hit me with some juice? <laughs> and listen, pulp, no pulp, doesn't make a difference to me. You're the ones dealing with the diaper. Mom goggles. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> I need you to sit on your bottom. Listen to Daddy. You sit on your bottom, okay? Daddy's gonna come get you. Dude, don't move. Don't dance. Just sit on your bottom. Daddy's gonna come get you. Whoa, 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 whoa! Don't you try to stop me. Baby made a poopy, yes you did, dude. Where are your mom goggles? They wouldn't fit over my hazmat suit. Take this. Oh, oh. You're so cute, <laughs> And then the little boy rocked his mommy. Oh, I love you. Forever. I like you, too. <laughs> I don't know how they do it. Oh, well, you take it. Yeah, I don't know if you can tell in that last scene he was drinking out of a sippy cup. So, um, when I think of lifting up my eyes, I think of the great perspective that uh, moms tend to have about about everything. It's just a funny little skit, obviously, but uh, <laughs> the way they can tell the cry. Oh no, this is what they need. Do you have? Wait, how is that? As as a guy, I'm like how. I just rotate through three or four things when they're little, you know, just going to try one of them randomly and hope that it works. But um, I love the fact that God has made male and female. He made them both. And I think it's because uh, who God is is supposed to be reflected. It's going to take both male and female to reflect the fullness of who God is. You can't, <laughs> you can't just get it. If there's, if there's trouble going on in the home, okay, if we're honest, if there's something's about to go down, when there's a bump in the night, normally in most households, I'm going to go with normal, right? You don't bump, you don't bump mom, hey mom, I heard a bump outside, <laughs> right? You get the dad. You get the, the one who's designed to be the protector, the one who's designed to be the strength. What happens when someone skins a knee? Well, it's usually not dad that they run to. Not usually. You may be a wonderful dad, and that may be the case in your home, but usually we're looking to go to mom because there's some sort of compassion <laughs> Unlike dads, usually, ah, you're fine, go on, All right? But God needs both of those, needs the compassion and the nurturing that's going on so that it brings forth something incredible. Um, one of the things that I love about this church is that we have so many resources online. Um, I was going back through, and in May of 2011, uh, Pastor Eric did a great message on Resh Hef. Mem, Resh Hef Mem, letters that we would translate to R, H, and M. And Pastor Eric went through, and really, uh, for those of you who uh, understand where this comes from, is out of the Strong's number 7356. Let's take a look in, in Genesis chapter 43, and I'll explain a little bit about what that means. Genesis 43, I'm not going to try to do the entirety of this message, that's why I referred you to our online sermons. If you don't know, if you can't remember that, if you were here and you don't remember it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Take notes. It is a wonderful teaching on this topic right here. Genesis chapter 43, 
and verse 11. Say there when you're there, please. There you go. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm and a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Mmm, yummy. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of, of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your older brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, I am bereaved. Uh, I am bereaved. So the men took the gifts and doubled the amount of silver and Benjamin also. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare dinner. They are to eat with me at noon. Now, if you come on our Monday nights, you know we're actually going to get to this pretty soon. Uh, This story of Joseph as he is about to reveal himself to his brothers that had sold him into captivity. Verse 17, the man did as Joseph told him and took the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought, we were brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. So they went up to Joseph Stewart and spoke to him at the entrance of the house. Please, sir, they said, we came down here for the first time to buy food. But at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks and each of us found his silver, the exact weight in the mouth of his sack. So we have brought it back with us. We've also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put the silver in our sacks. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sack. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. The steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, and provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because they had heard that they were there to eat. As you go throughout this story, it's, it's, telling, it's telling over and over again of this interaction between them. And it gets to the point, the reason that I mentioned 7356 is our word there, was that it gets to the point and it talks about how Joseph was moved with compassion. He was moved with mercy. The word there actually refers back to the idea of a womb. Definitely translated as Mercy throughout the Old Testament, but it's also translated as womb. In other words, a place, let there be a place that is secure, the epitome of being able to get the nutrients that you need to grow. When it says that Joseph was moved with mercy or he was moved with compassion, it was literally in one of the translations, it could be that his, his bowels, his insides moved with something as if there were a small life, as if there was something inside that left inside of him. Um, for those of you, uh, I, I loved my wife being pregnant. I thought that was a wonderful, uh, I, I don't think there's anything much more beautiful than a woman who's pregnant. With, with, in, a pure, in the purest sense, I, just, I think that is such a fantastic thing. And I used to love, we'd be sitting in church, and later on in the pregnancies, you'll see, a, you'll, see, you'll see something moving there. The mother gets to feel it a long time before the father can join in with the fun on that. But that's what I think of here when Joseph, he is moved into such a, a central location that this mercy that is given is designed to allow us to flourish. It won't take time on it today, but do you understand all the things that go on? <laughs> I understand. Maybe not all of it, but when a woman becomes pregnant, not only is it a miracle to get pregnant, but all the things that go on in a woman's body to prepare the right environment for, for life. That is the very heart of God. It's reflected in a woman in the womb, but it is the very heart of God to prepare a place for us to be able to grow, to be able to be nurtured. I was amazed um, when my wife would start feeding the children when they were young and how even the milk from a mother changes over the course of time. It changes in days. When the child is first born, the milk is one thing because that's exactly what the baby needs. And God has established it over the course of weeks. The content of the mother's milk changes. Why? Because the baby needs something different. (laughs) Incredible. What God has done is incredible. And what He's trying to do is reflect in us a very natural picture for us to go, in our lives, you know what happens? When we're a baby Christian, God feeds us and He gives us exactly what we need. He's he's prepared us in an environment where we can grow to to the utmost. And then He gives us exactly the food that we need. And you know what happens? That food can change in content. You know why? Because we're changing. 
And we're growing. And we're getting stronger. And it should change. The very things that He feeds us with develop over time. And we learn that by paying attention to what happens in motherhood. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. Are you guys with me? Yes. Just laying some groundwork here. Nehemiah <clears throat> chapter 9. Verse 19, it says this. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 19 says this. Because of your great compassion, you do not abandon them in the desert. By day the pillar of cloud did not cease to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way that they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from, the mouths, from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For forty years you sustained them in the desert. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. Amen to that. Right? The beginning of that, because of your great compassion, that great compassion there is the resh heth mem. It's the word that we see there, again, translated as womb. Because of His great love, because of His great desire to have His people be birthed properly, He did not abandon them. Because of His great love for them. Um, an example, turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. We see this acted out in an incredible way. 1 Kings chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 16. For some reason, this was one of my favorite Bible stories growing up. Kind of a weird one to have as a favorite. It just, I thought it was the coolest thing. And I'll tell you why in here in a second. Verse 16 of 1 Kings chapter 3. It says this, Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, My lord... This woman and I live in the same house. I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born. For those of you who love to study the Bible, if you just go look at every time a third day happens in the Bible, it's pretty interesting. It's a pretty interesting story. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning I got up to nurse my son and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son. The dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours. The living one is mine. So back and forth this goes. And so they argued before the king. I know what you're thinking. Seriously, this was your favorite story growing up? Yes, it actually was, for this reason. And the king said, this one, this one says, my son is alive and your son is dead. While that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was filled with compassion. She was moved in the deepest part of her soul. <laughs> Number 7356. Resh Heth Mem. She was filled with compassion for her son and said to the king, Please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. I love the fact that the king brought in a sword. He brought in the word, right? He brought in the very word of God to discern and distinct, to give distinction between that which was false and that which was true. And the mother was so moved. What a beautiful picture. Look, I would rather lose my child and keep the child alive than me to try to claim it and lose it. There's so many levels that this speaks of, but it really, for today, I want to bring out the level that as a woman, as a mother, that idea of sacrifice is something that is very integral to who you are and to who we are, who we all should be as believers. Turn to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 3. So Ruth, uh, well let's just read here. Now Elimelech, verse 3. Naomi's husband died and she was left there with two sons. They married Moabite women. One named Orpah and the other Ruth. 
After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and without her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of His people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughter-in-laws, uh, daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Obviously, especially in these days when you have the mom, Naomi, loses her husband. Within a few years, she loses both of her sons as well. So it's just mom and the two daughters-in-law. Verse 8, Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness. Show kindness to you as you have shown to your, to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Why is she saying this? This is a bittersweet moment for her because she's saying, Look, I can barely, I'm not sure that I can provide for myself. You girls are much younger. Why don't you go back to your father's house and see if perhaps the Lord will move on your behalf there. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. They both say that, but Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Hey, that's very sweet. I know we've lived together for over a decade now. Just go on back home. This is okay. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who can become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Uh, she's painting the picture of all the reasons why it makes sense what she's saying. Hey, sweetie, I, I, can't, I can't do anything for you. It, it's just much better for you if you do this. Verse 14, As, At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, say Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. The beautiful story here. Verse 16, But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to return back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. <laughs> May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you from me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go, she stopped urging her. The entire book of Ruth is, is one of my favorites. We get, we get to later on in the picture of a kinsman redeemer in Boaz. We know the story of Ruth becoming an incredible mother to Obed, to Jesse, and then to King David. Later on, we understand that. But when you see this at the beginning, you see Naomi, who has so intertwined her life. <laughs> we focus on Ruth, and I think that's appropriate. So many things that we can learn from that. But on a Mother's Day, I just want to focus on Naomi for a second and go, Wow. She had nothing but their best interests in mind. These weren't her daughters. She had lost her family. Her husband and her sons were gone. She was trying to do the best that she could for them, but she had so intertwined and deposited in Ruth's life. There are so many of you here today as women that you have deposited in many people. I actually sent a text to a friend of mine this morning. And I said, hey, happy Mother's Day. You have mothered so many in the kingdom. I wanted to honor you today. There are some of you in here and I, want to, I just want to honor you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for pouring into other people's lives. Thank you for those of you who treat other people as if they were your own children and love them and input into them and show the very love of God to people and it changes the course and the very lineage of Jesus Christ because of, partially at least, because of Naomi's love in them. Naomi's love towards Ruth it's such an incredible thing. And I just want to thank you for those of you who do this on a regular basis. There are so many here who do that. Don't neglect those that God will put in your life that you're supposed to love on like a Naomi. Maybe it's not as much about you as it is about them. About the Ruths who will be in the lineage of Jesus. But continue to pour in. Don't get discouraged in that. This is the passage of Scripture that I want to focus on. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're just going to camp out here for a few minutes. All that was really just a precursor to what I want to get to here. I want to tell you that I really feel like that, that God has something for us specifically from this passage today. Specifically from 1 Samuel 1, we're going to be talking about the story of Hannah 
and I really want us to kind of zero in on some things. This will, obviously I'm directing some of these towards the ladies, but really as believers, these things, when we go down and we see what Hannah did, it should move all of us, male and female alike, to see if we're doing things the way that God has prescribed. We have a great example here in Hannah of the way that things should be done. 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we'll start in, uh, well, let's just start in verse 1. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zophite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zup, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other called Pinnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Uh, By the way, for those like, we've kind of highlighted Joy this morning, who for six years was trying to get pregnant and couldn't. Uh, That is not an unusual thing, even in the most godly of women. You can go through the Bible and at least seven that I can think of who were barren and could not have children that eventually had children. If you've been in that case, if you're in that case, I just want to encourage you. We serve a God who is miraculous. We serve a God who can open the closed womb. Amen? Amen. Year after year, this man went up from his own town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah, Peninnah, sorry, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. Everybody say double portion. portion. Sometimes we feel afflicted and we miss the fact that God is actually trying to give us a double portion. If you focus on on the lack that you have, you're going to miss the fact that we have a God who literally is ready to give you a double portion. And you're going to see this in her actions here. But we have to open our eyes to understand that God's kingdom is bigger than ours. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are above our thoughts. So if we keep looking at things from a natural perspective, we miss the divine that is right at our fingertips. We will miss it. And Hannah did not. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. Why? Because he loved her. Because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. (laughs) Who closed the womb? Hmm. Interesting. Verse 6, And because the Lord had closed her womb, it says it back to back, right? In case you missed it at the end of the other verse, I'm going to start off the next verse by saying it. Lest you think that the circumstances you're in are completely out of your control, perhaps God is using it for your good and He's trying to work things out in you. Perhaps He's trying to build things into you so instead of looking at it and going, <laughs> and feeling defeated in your own heart, perhaps it's the Lord that has done some of these things to test you, to steer you, to grow you, to help you, to get you ready for a double portion because He loves you. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. I'm going to just go through a few things here. Uh, So far we see that Hannah is going to have to deal with insecurity. What gets at your heart more as a woman than not being able to be a mother? What, what kind of sting and kind of torture is that? Hannah has to deal with this. She has to deal with this sting all the time. <laughs> at that time of the month, every month, she's reminded that she cannot have a child. Right. Every month. Over and over and over again. What are those things that push on us in our life? I can tell you I I definitely have certain insecurities. And if I allow them, they just keep pushing at you. You're not man enough to do that. What are you doing up there on the stage for a church like this? Are you serious? Are you serious? If you allow the insecurities in your life to direct you, you will never land where God has you. You will never make it. You will fall away you will be some small, pitiful version of who God has really called you to be if you allow any insecurity. You know who I am? I am called by God. I am called to be a pastor here and serve you with all of my might. I'm going to work with all that I have and know that I still need an easier because I can't get it done. So if the enemy is going to say, hey, you can't get it done, you know what I'm going to do? Yep. 
That's why I need an easer. That's why I need my wife. That's why I need the Holy Spirit in my life to do those things. So Hannah has to deal with these insecurities. Another thing that she has to deal with, she has to deal with a rival. A literal rival. An arch enemy. enemy, (laughs) The nemesis, right? Verse 6, And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. You ever had a rival? Some of you just thought of a person, right? (laughs) Yes, I know exactly who they are. (laughs) (laughs) We've got all kinds of things willing up. We'll have to pray for forgiveness later on. Perhaps, Perhaps the rival in your life, though, isn't as much of another person as it is thoughts that you have that are in opposition to what God has for you. Perhaps... It's, it's people in your life that you've allowed to stay there that actually have become rival to the things that God wants for you. Perhaps it's your own desires that are actually at war with what God has for you. What's your rival? Who's your rival today? What is that that is opposing itself against the very forces of God taking full control of your life today? Those are rival things. Hannah had to deal with a rival. Let's learn more about the rival, maybe it was just a few minutes that this happened. A little teasing and then she went on. Verse 7. This went on year after year. <laughs> day after day, year after year, over and over and over again. Lord, why won't you bring victory? Lord, why am I still here? Because you've got to figure out how to deal with the rivals in your life. You have to figure out how to deal with those thoughts those people, those actions, those desires that are opposed to God's will. You have to figure out how to deal with these rivals. Because if you don't, they're going to eat your lunch. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and could not eat. Uh, Just ignore it, brother. Just move on. That's not at all what happened here. It was so traumatic that she wept and wept. Where was she? She was going to the very house of the Lord. (laughs) She was going to try to find a place of refuge. And this other rival just kept poking at it. Kept going there. Ah, pregnant yet? Got some baby clothes. Just poking, poking, poking at it. (laughs) What is it it for your life? I'm always going to be by myself. Poking at you. God really, he, he won't really be able to forgive me or do things in my life. It's a rival just poking at you. Maybe I won't be able to accomplish what God has for me. Just poking at you. Until you weep and sometimes it even keeps you from eating. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? By the way, ladies, most of the time we men are pretty pitiful when you start crying. I just got to admit it. I'm like, oh, don't do that. Why? Because I don't know what to do. Is this a good cry? Is this a bad cry? Am I supposed to hug you? Am I supposed to fix it? Ah! Sorry, that's the inside part. Right? Maybe it's just me. (laughs) (laughs) Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Well, and then clearly he understands why she's downhearted, right? Because the very next question he asks, don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Well, he understands exactly what the content of her, of her tears entail. He understands completely. Why? Because it's the same thing that's been going on year after year. What can I do for you? Verse 9. Once... When they finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Everybody say, Hannah stood up. up. That thing that keeps defeating you until it no longer does. I've never done this before until you finally do. This idea that this was going on and on and on and it felt like this is just going to be the way life is. (laughs) I will go down to the grave in sorrow. This is just my plot in life. 
I'm sorry, that's it, that's all I got. Other people can be happy, other people can feel God's will, but not me. That's for them, it's not me. Until one day, Hannah stood up. Why are you standing there weeping? Stand up. If God has something for you, if He is planning on doing something for you, can anything in this universe prevent that from happening? It can't. Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. Verse 10, In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. Hannah had to deal with insecurity. She had to deal with her rivals. She just had to be persistent because it was year after year after year. She had to deal with discouragement. She was weeping and couldn't even eat until she finally stood up. And then she had to deal with this bitterness of the soul. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. The bitterness of soul. It's an interesting phrase. Have you ever known somebody that you could explain them and their attitude is they had a bitterness in soul? Something that got in there and they just couldn't relinquish. It had um, barbs. <laughs> Something that's designed to go in but doesn't come out easily. It, it's grasping from the other side and to really get it out, it just feels like you have to tear a bunch of things away. Or there has to be some type of surgery procedure that does that. One time, um, Gabriel, my, my son, was about uh, four or five. First time he had ever gone fishing. He did such a good job. He caught his grandfather in the first 30 seconds that he had the pole. Ooh. My father-in-law is, is such an amazing man, and he was gracious about it all. And obviously, you know, Gabe hardly didn't even know what was going on, but he caught Pawpaw. All right? Good job, son. One for one on the cast. You know? There are things that get hooked they get hooked down in our spirit. Something happens and it, it darts into us and we can't just pull it out. There's too much that's going on. There's a bitterness of soul that she has to learn how to deal with. You know how she figures out how to deal with it? She wept. And then she prayed to the Lord. When that happens, for my father-in-law, he couldn't get it out by himself. <laughs> He just had to stop and say, look, somebody's got to come help me with this or this is going to be really, really bad. And it took others' assistance to do this. When you go to the Lord, I don't know why in my life I don't go to the Lord quicker. I try to figure out things. I like figuring things out. I want to look at the details. I want to try to work through. I want to be faithful at whatever. Why don't I just go to the Lord quicker? Why don't I just say, Lord, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what to do, Lord, but my eyes are going to be fixed on you. And she made a vow. If you do make a vow to the Lord, you best keep it. Amen. Pardon my common slang vernacular there. Be very, very careful about the vows that you make. In our culture and society, I can say one thing to you and it just changed my mind with really no penalty. That is not the way the kingdom is built. If you make a vow to the Lord, you are expected to keep it. Hannah made a vow to the Lord. She's not making a deal with the Lord. I don't think she's making a deal. I think the Lord moved upon her heart. <laughs> the children of Israel needed to be rescued. They had a completely perverse priesthood that was leading them. They needed somebody who can come with a prophetic word. So you know what God's answer is most of the time? Sends a baby. The plan for this, there's problem in the land, so you know what God's answer is? He's going to send a baby. He's going to send the seed. He's going to send something small. He's going to send that as little, and it seems to be insignificant, and yet it's His design and His purpose to conquer the kingdom of darkness. Amen. Huh. Perhaps it's that Hannah knew in her spirit that there was something that was supposed to be different about this child. Perhaps the lament 
and the, the pain and the bitterness that she was going through was because she understood. And so in this moment, she sits there, made a vow saying, Oh Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me. You ever felt forgotten? When you're going through tough times, don't you feel forgotten? I do. And um, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. So she is willing to give away that which she is wanting the most. That's pretty godly. Lord, if you just give him to me, I'll give him right back. Isn't that what we're supposed to do as believers? Lord, I have a desire to do something for your kingdom, so I need to be imparted with something divine, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to turn right back around and give it to you. I'm, just, uh, I'm not trying to keep it for myself, Lord. I've fought for too long with these ideas. I've fought for too long with these thoughts, and in my heart, I know that it's only you. This will not happen unless you do something in me, because all I want to do is give it back to you. What a beautiful picture from this woman, Hannah given to you all the days of his life, no razor will ever be used on his head. Verse 12, As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. She was literally mouthing a prayer to the Lord. <laughs> I guess it's better that, our, that we have a heart that is active and not words versus words that are active and not a heart that's behind it, right? Her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk (laughs) and said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. I love the Bible because it's just so stinking real. Have you ever done something with the purest of heart as as much as you know how to be pure, and someone accused you of that which is vile? Hey, look, drunkard. Get out of church, you drunkard. You don't understand. I've just been battling with insecurities. I've been battling with my rival. I've been battling with persistence over time. I had to stand up. I'm battling with the bitterness of my soul. I'm battling with all these things. And now you're going to come. You, the guy who's supposed to be helping me. If she's not careful, I know people in my life who would have looked at that and said, see, that's God's answer in my life. I tried to reach out to God. You know what happened? I got punched right in the face. That's not the Lord responding to her. That is not what God had intended. It's there, and she has yet another hurdle. But she doesn't become bitter. Why? Because she had been dealing with that for years. She doesn't say, forget you, man. Forget this church stuff. Such a hypocrite. She didn't turn it and walk out. What does she do? (laughs) Not so, my Lord. There's something that happens when we're actually broken in spirit. Sermon on the Mount. When we start looking through those characteristics and in the fall, Pastor Eric did a great sermon on that. I can't remember what it's called right now, but if you look at that, look online back in the fall, you'll see it. But perhaps she was actually broken in spirit. Perhaps she was actually broken and contrite. Because her response was not filled with vile. It was not filled with anger and hatred. Her response is this, Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. (laughs) Perhaps you've misinterpreted my actions. If only more believers would respond this way. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Oops. That's a little bit of a difference. (laughs) Look, I'm not drunk. I've literally been pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Don't you hate it when you're already down and you've got to stop and yet humble yourself again? Being a pastor, um, it is a great joy. I'm a pastor not because I have a title. I'm a pastor because that's what God has wired me to do. When I was a school teacher, I was a pastor who was teaching at a school. When I became a high school principal, I was a principal, I mean, I was a, a, a pastor who happened to be getting paid to be a principal of a high school. 
it's what I am. It's wherever I go, that just happens. And I know one thing, that sometimes you're really trying to help people and you've already humbled yourself and they'll spit in your face. And you're like, seriously? The only reason I drove these four hours was to come and help you and you want to insult me because I'm not doing what you should be doing? Hmm. I hope that more often than not I can respond like Hannah and just humble myself and say, hey, brother. She just said, hey, look, I've got anguish and grief in my soul. Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. No apology. No platitudes. Just, all right, go in peace. May the Lord grant you your wish. Verse 18, she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. It's hard, to, it's hard to catch this in the text because it seems like he almost flippantly says, all right, blessings to you, move along. But apparently whatever happened there was something that was divine because of her response. I'm not saying that he meant it in a divine way. I'm saying that the God of all creation used it in a divine way because something broke within her spirit. It changed. The heaviness was gone because what did she do? She went and ate and she wasn't downcast anymore. There was faith that rose up within her at the word of God, even through a very, maybe a very carnal person. If you always wait and, and hold people blameless, the ones that are telling you things, you can miss the actual divine part of what's going on in your life. <laughs> God can use some broken vessels to do some incredible things. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. What is it that you're asking the Lord for today? What is it that you're asking the Lord for? What is it that you're having to deal with? We all have things to deal with. To think that any of us are free from dealing with them. And if you're free from this moment, praise God. Enjoy that. But I would imagine in some area of your life, we're always constantly trying to deal with things. You know why? Because sometimes these things take a long time to work out. You know why? Because God loves us and He's ready to give us a double portion. He's trying to help us through these things. He's trying to cause things to get pulled out of us that could not be pulled out any other way. Insecurity, rivals, persistence, discouragement, bitterness of the soul, mistaken motives, promises that we make towards God. This is a story that took place thousands of years ago. Thousands. Isn't it amazing how pertinent, how relevant this is to our lives? The insecurities, the rivals, the persistence, the discouragement, the bitterness of soul, the vows, the mistaken motives. That was just seven. Those were just the things that I saw as I was reading through this going, Lord, perhaps these are things that you're working out in us. I've got one other little little video for you um, before we wrap it up here. This video really is kind of dealing with number one of Hannah had to deal with, these insecurities that went on. And um, I'll go ahead and read some of the text on the screen because I'm not sure if it's going to be big enough for everybody to see. But I just want you to check out this quick little video. Moms had to describe themselves as a mother. That was their job. I'm a perfectionist, and so that's hard with kids. There's definitely days when I have my doubts about my abilities. I struggle with my temper. I struggle with like how I react with situations. I wish I knew how to, I guess, just calm myself before speaking to them. I wish I was better at taking time to sit down and just listen more to my child. I wish I was more confident in being a mom. I'm not the most patient person in the world. Patience. Patience is far and away probably the biggest struggle. I just want them to know 
just how much I love them. <sighs> so they come back in a couple of days and they get to watch what their kids said about them. My mom is totally awesome. He's fun to snuggle with. Pretty funny. She does cook a lot of food for me. She's just unique. That's why I love her so much. We go on dates together. Like, we go shopping. She loves me a lot. I have a lot of favorite things about my mom. We like to watch movies together and color and stuff. We go to church together, we volunteer together. She is like my heart, I guess you could say, because she's that close to me. My favorite thing is to jump on a trampoline with my mom. That's my most favorite thing to go up high. We like get ice cream or something, and like you go to the nail salon and have fun. <laughs> my mommy's my hero. She's pretty and beautiful. She is my hero. She just will care about me and just always love me forever. She's the best. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> I always seem to focus mostly on the negative and I guess I can walk out of here and say that I'm doing something great, and that my child is viewing me in totally different lenses as I view myself. So that's, that's inspiring. This is my calling. This is my job. This is what I love to do, and I will do it better and with love each and every day because those kids count on me, and they love me for what I'm doing. I should have warned you, given you the Kleenex warning before that. <laughs> Let me encourage you with this thought. Perhaps your perception of yourself should not be the primary thing that you focus on. Amen. Perhaps you should focus like Hannah does in the crying out to the one who can make a difference in your life. If you're a mother... If you're a father, if you're single, if you're a student here today, what we learned from Hannah, what we heard in the video, what did, what did all the ladies in the video, they all focused on their inadequacies, what they lacked, what they couldn't do, what their insecurities were screaming at them. One of the things we love about our kids is their perspective was, my mom's great, she's beautiful. She jumps on the trampoline with me. She makes food for me. What else could I want? Typical boy, right? <laughs> food. <laughs> what misconceptions do you need to get rid of today? If you are the apple of his eye, if you, each of us, are precious to him, if he is willing and able to give us a double portion to meet us in our time of need and grief, Is there anything that our God can't do? No. Is there anything that He won't do for you? Is there anything that He can't accomplish if He's spoken it into your life? There is nothing in this universe that can keep His hand from moving and doing exactly what He said He was going to do. If it takes year after year after year of it not happening the way that you think, let me encourage you today. Let me encourage you with the love of Jesus Christ and say, His hand is not short. His ear is not stopped up where He can't hear your cries anymore. He's not forgetful where He will no longer remember you and your cry. Perhaps today as we close, we should respond to God in a way that says, Lord, I will not allow my feelings about what You have said to influence the steps that I will do to accomplish Your will. And maybe you're here and, and, and your heart is to, is to find a spouse. 
Let me encourage you. Your job right now is to make yourself spouse-worthy. I don't say that tritely. I don't say it in a silly fashion. You focus. If you're a young man here, you focus on building a life that someone can be added to. Amen. If you're a young lady in here, then you focus on you becoming a Hannah-like woman, a godly woman who is ready to come and add to a husband's call. That is your job. Mothers, <laughs> keep doing a good job. Don't let the times when you lose your temper derail you from understanding. Go to the Lord. Have His Spirit infused into everything that you do. Pray over your children. Lay hands on them. Call the very fire down from heaven on behalf of your family. Amen. Matt, if you and the worship team would come up. If you guys would stand.